because at that point in time i thought he who hath the best idea wins which isn't so at all sure you have to have a great idea but you also have to implement and what i've realized over the years is that there's so many ideas that stay in people's minds because they're afraid to think about them and think about them outside of their own mind in the sense that they're going to share it with someone else and because they don't share their ideas they tend to die what i've realized more and more is that when you choose the right people to share ideas with it benefits both parties it benefits them and you get something in return from caribbean ideas in trinidad and tobago this is uptick a part of the caribbean innovation content network uptick is a show that brings you the stories of caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies these are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the caribbean world but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. Some people have a gift of telling incredibly vivid stories that allow you to visualize in amazing detail the experiences they're recounting. When you add to that an ability to impart a lesson, then you have a rare and unique gift. The Caribbean has been blessed with some amazing storytellers, but what I find incredibly interesting about today's guest is he's a business person with big ideas who also simultaneously has this gift. Some ideas can have incredible impact, but the thing that differentiates the best innovators is an ability to pair powerful ideas with a relentless commitment to execution that helps those ideas take root, spread, and have the impact that they're capable of. Fundamentally, this podcast is about what's possible for people from the Caribbean. It's about the amazing impact that we can have and that we're already having, embodied by people who are all over the Caribbean region or from the Caribbean region living abroad. People who not only embrace their potential, but also are undaunted by things like being from a small part of the world. They actively work to shed themselves of the mental barrier that Mia Motley, the inspirational female Prime Minister of Barbados, calls the barrier that Caribbean people must work hard to avoid of self-contempt. Ron Johnson, co-founder of Blueprint Creative, is also ironically from the island of Barbados. And in addition to his work building a well-respected branding and design agency, he's also spreading a powerful idea about the essential interconnection between branding and HR. You'll learn a ton from his story, his philosophies, his commitment to impact, and I know you'll enjoy his ability to communicate powerful ideas and lessons through vivid storytelling. Let's take a listen. All right, well, um, very excited today. This is Chike Farrell, um, and we are getting started with Uptick uh, Season 2. Um, and I have uh, Ron Johnson of um, Blueprint Creative in Barbados, but he's also does and doing many many other interesting things beyond that so we're going to get into a really good conversation about um this season's theme which is really three things three p's um purpose pivots and uh perseverance so so welcome ron really excited to to have you today thank you very much for having me yeah and you know i think what is you know really interesting is that you know you and i have met um, you know, many, many years mm -hmm. back, um, you know, and always been kind of trying to find some, some interesting ways to collaborate. And that's actually, you know, accelerated recently. Yeah. Um, and I, we're going to get into some of that as we, as we go along, cause you know, there, there's some interesting things there. I think that, that, that will be useful for, for the entrepreneurs and innovators out there. You know, but what I love as usual is, you know, just start with a little bit of, um, background on you and, you know, who you are and, and that sort of thing. So we just, you know, tell our listeners, um, you know, we just start with, uh, you know, where you grew up um, and then we'll segue into, you know, what you do today. So let's start with, you know, where were you born and raised? Sure. So born and raised in Barbados. Uh, I did spend some time in Trinidad, about six years. Uh, my first four years in Trinidad, I spent doing a bachelor's degree in biology. And about three months before I graduated, I realized I do not particularly like biology <laughs> in any form or fashion. So directly after graduation, I enrolled in an MBA course. 
first business course I'd ever taken in my life. I didn't do it in secondary school. I didn't do it in college. Didn't do it in undergrad. But I really enjoyed it. It was hard work. I had to do some prerequisites, of course, um, before taking some classes. And part of that MBA course really resonated with me in terms of business. I did draw very close to the marketing end of things. Um, and they also paired that with a newfound love that I found in undergrad doing humanities, um, you know, cultural, cultural issues, um, psychology, sociology, anthropology, etc. And for me, it was a really great experience having been born in Barbados, then to go to Trinidad which is a heck of a lot more culturally diverse than Barbados is uh, due to the different experiences we've had historically in terms of colonial influence. Barbados has had just one colonial influence, that being the British, where in Trinidad it's a lot more. Um, I believe for sure Spanish, uh, East Indian, African, uh, I'm not sure what French, but I think Portuguese. You know, yeah. The point is it's a lot more culturally diverse for sure. Um, my first week in Trinidad, I think I actually got sensory overload because being born and raised in Barbados and thinking this is the way that all Caribbean countries are, then to come to, Bar come to Trinidad, I find that's not really so. You know, there were differences in the music, you know, playing on the radio, differences in the way people dressed, differences in the way people spoke, you know, the beautiful sing-song accent of Trinidadians. Um, it was everything was just so different. I think it was one of the best experiences of my life to have left some place that you were born and raised and you felt comfortable in, then to immerse yourself in a completely different culture and realize there are different ways of thinking, you know, different ways of doing things. You know, trained that is that's really diverse in terms of ethnicities, in terms of religion, in terms of everything. So that's a little bit about where myself in terms of growing up. Uh, I have one sister, and she happens to be my business partner uh, in the company we co-founded uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Blueprint Creative, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about at some point in time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it for me in terms of growing up, I believe, just between here and between Barbados and Trinidad. So when when um, when you know I came across you again, I'm trying to remember you know without dating either of us, <laughs> yeah. that was, but um, <laughs> but that you know what what I re remember was that you know we were both um, you know uh, young youngish in the game yeah. um, entrepreneurs who yeah. were both in the marketing you know touching aspects of digital and so on. So I want you to, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what Blueprint Creative does today. But what, what I remember when we first chatted, because I think I was thinking about, you know, regional, you know, expansion from Trinidad and, and wanting to build relationships in, in other places. And I, what I remember when we first talked um, that I always thought was really, really cool about you and, and think is still really cool even with what you're doing now is that you were very focused. At the time, you, you know, we were a digital, full-service digital agency with Caribbean Ideas at the time. Um, and, and you sort of said, yeah, you know, I do that and I do digital, but I really am, you know, really connected to branding and design and, and so on. And I know today you're still very focused. So, so tell, t tell me a little bit about just your philosophy behind you know focus as an entrepreneur why has that been such a big part of what you've done so i'm not sure if you've ever heard of the hedgehog concept uh if you've read um, jim collins book uh great by choice um i'm not sure if he developed it or if he just referenced it but it's kind of like these three interlocking circles and these circles were you know what are you good at uh, what are you passionate about and what can you make money off of? It's worded differently. Um, but the sweet spot is in the center of those circles. And I fully believe in being involved in a job or a project that hits those circles in terms of passion, um, ability to have a career out of it, you know, uh, to be financially viable. So at that point in time, I think in some respects, I was still searching even though I was focused. And the reason I say that, I'm sure it's going to come out in this podcast, but I was really focused on the brand aspect because that was something that I really, really, really enjoyed. And it is something I still enjoy. It's just that the way we're going about it 
now is slightly different from when we first met, and we're going to talk about that. But I do think that entrepreneurs tend to have, even though they're focused, <laughs> sometimes they can be, uh, what are we looking for? When you see something nice and glittery and, and you know, they, they, they pounce out over it because... <laughs> they want to go jump after it. They want to yeah. jump after it. And to be honest, I think I'm like that in a, in a lot of ways where I mean, we focus on something, but like, ooh, something new and shiny. What's this going on over here? So when you met me, I was very, very focused on it, and I still am. And I don't think there's any one path to entrepreneurship. Uh, there are going to be some people that will say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur in this space and in this space only, and this is my focus. And they do well. But as we say in Barbados, cat luck and dog luck, what works for you might not work for me. If we take a look at an entrepreneur like Sir Richard Branson um, and the, the Virgin Empire, there's so many different components and so many different areas, you know, that is difficult to say, well, he's just focused on one industry, whereas he seems to be more focused on a lifestyle or attitude of rebellion. Um, so I'm still very focused on branding, but the way that we're going about it now is slightly different. And I, I, we have found a niche that I think, uh, will really work out for us. And it has been working out for us recently. And, and yeah, and we're, we're going to definitely get into that because it's, it's pretty fascinating, um, the direction that you've taken it. So right before you jumped into, into starting your company, so, so did you go from, school to jumping in or did you work somewhere in between and you know tell tell tell, tell a little bit about the path there and i'm really interested in what you saw i always like to ask you know entrepreneurs well what was the thing that you saw what was the pain what was the need because i think a lot of people who want to get started in business and they may have ideas but they're like okay but how do you make that that last leap so so tell me a little bit about that what that was like for you and your origin story Okay, so when I was studying in Trinidad, I would come back to Barbados and I would work in a couple of places in labs uh, because that was my background in time, science. And after working there a couple of stints, I realized that I do not want to do this for the rest of my life. So I was more clear on what I did not want at that point in time than what I did want. You know, I was turning the burettes and pipettes, you know, we had to let that drop going to Beaker Funnel and, and then it turns pink and you got to write it down. I looked at it and I said, do I, do I care why this turns pink? And the answer was no. And I asked myself, do I even know why it's turning pink? The answer was no. I was like, this, 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 can't <laughs> right. be, this can't be my life, right? So then when I did the MBA program, I was fortunate enough to come back to Barbados and work with my dad who worked in the printing industry um, for most all of his life. Uh, he had the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and I worked with and for him for a few years, as did my sister. Um, but unfortunately, he passed away um, some years ago. And after he passed away, my sister and I decided to jump into the design area, which was kind of running parallel to the printing industry. So when we were in the print house, we would deal with advertising agencies, graphic designers, you know, content generators. The printing operation was always the execution of the final product, meaning if you're going to have a brochure or an annual report, the printer does that. But there's so much that goes on behind that that a lot of people don't understand. And that is, so we got a kind of a bird's eye view of the industry printing, um, advertising, content generation. And while my dad was still alive, when we were at the printery, uh, my sister and I started a magazine called Circuit Magazine. And we were fortunate to be the first magazine in the world to have Rihanna on the cover. So that was, wow. yeah, really great for us. When we came up with it, people were like, how do you get this? Anyway, so we learned a lot from that experience of working with graphic designers, working with content creators in terms of copywriting, um, advertising and sales. We had to go out there and sell ads to make the magazine um, sustainable, the editing process, photography, um, hiring models, hiring makeup, hiring uh, hairstylists, hiring just about everything that needed to happen under the sun to make a magazine work. And that was a really great training ground for us because it touched on so many different areas of business. And 
while the magazine is no longer around, we've taken those lessons and incorporated it into our entrepreneurial journey. So like again, when my dad passed away, myself and two other co-founders, we started Blueprint Creative. Uh, it was a design agency. And when I got into that, then I realized, as opposed to, as I said before, I knew what I did not want to do. But getting a taste of the entrepreneurial experience in design, which is where we started, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. So when, when was the company founded? How long, how long has it been around? Yeah, so we founded it in 2008, if memory serves me correctly, 2008, yeah. And since then, we've expanded from design into full-scale branding agency. So it's not, mm. well, not only design. Um, what we recognized very, very quickly was that the Barbadian business ecosystem a lot of marketing managers were very familiar, and CEOs as well, as well, very, very familiar with saying, we need more sales, talk to our marketing department, or talk to our agency to do a campaign. And the marketing agency or the marketing department would dutifully go and create this campaign. And it would work in the sense that it brought people through doors. The problem is those customers that came through the door were meeting employees who were disengaged, and delivering mediocre service and they did not spend as much money as they would have if the service was excellent so what we decided to do with part of our evolution was to advise our clients listen we can handle the advertising campaign for you you know it's going to be creative but you need to take a look at things like employee experience employee engagement um because that is having an impact on your brand and it is having an impact on your your bottom line so that's that is part of how the progression started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because this year or this season for Uptick, um, you know, I always like to, to find things that, that hopefully, you know, these conversations help other people who, you know, are either in business, want to be in business or um, you know, or they're, they're not necessarily entrepreneurial, but they're, they're trying to take an organization of any type forward. It doesn't necessarily have to be be a business one. And and so one of the things that I always have found is really important and is one of the themes we want to explore this this season is is, is pivoting, right? Um, you know, I think to, to create a business that, that sustains or an organization or a group that sustains you you generally have to 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 evolve you use the word evolution as well mm -hmm. so it's really it's really cool to hear that you sort of hey I, I started in this place and we were we were going down this road but you started to see something else you started to see um a world of impact on a or on an organization's brand that had nothing to do with the marketing side or the campaign side or the you know sales and the advertising and you started to see and, and delve into other aspects of experience is really the word that that i've seen you use a lot and heard you use a lot um and particularly as you said employee experience so 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 that's a, a an interesting insight is that the first time that you would say you you did a you know a, a material pivot or or evolution or is that uh, almost a part of your you know, your experience over these last 12 years where you found that you've had to do that periodically? So I think that we recognize the niche in the market or the deficiency in the market, but the, I think there was a constant gradual awareness or awakening in our collective minds that this is a problem that needs to be solved, but how do we solve it? We weren't 100% sure. So when we got into the employee experience side, that was definitely um, part of that evolution. The, the other part of the evolution was recognizing that brands start from the inside and not from the outside. So while we had been telling our clients things like, take a look at your employee experience or we can support you there, gradually we realized that if brands start on the inside of the organization, and I do believe that, then HR professionals should be considered part of your branding team because they're the ones who are more likely to be tasked with company culture, employee engagement, etc. So out of that gradual awakening, we started talking not just to CEOs and marketing managers, 
but to HR professionals to hear their perspectives. And a couple of years ago, part of our transition was to develop our own business framework on branding. And that framework is called dot, 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 wait for it, branding. <laughs> but we spell it B-H-R-A-N-D-I-N-G. So what it is, is literally integrating HR into conventional branding. Uh, we believe strongly that if you really want to build a strong brand from the inside out, you really, really have to be engaging your HR professionals. The HR professionals have to be, they have to have a CA strategy table. They have to be involved in building the brand and they cannot be isolated from any discussions about branding. So since we came up with this framework, uh, we've been invited to speak on it in Barbados, Trinidad and Tobago, Jamaica, uh, Cayman Islands, USA, Mexico, as far away as Malaysia, where we've actually gone to workshops and coached business professionals on the importance of building a brand from the inside and some of the, you know, aspects of the business framework and how it can be applied. Mm -hmm. So how is your um, business model and, and how you've approached revenue generation and, and, and making money change as a result of this particular pivot and shift. Right. So I think that over the years, the business model that we had for revenue generating, uh, revenue generation was rather conventional for, um, the time that we started in 2008, meaning that the market was very accustomed to, hiring a graphic designer, hiring a business consultant or a marketing consultant, hiring a copywriter, hiring an agency to take care of all of this. This is, this is pretty much the norm. But what has happened since then is that as people become more tech savvy, as you had a younger generation of marketers and branders come in and doing delivering things through technology, we had to change. And it is very difficult to scale a service-oriented company as opposed to uh, something where you're selling products. So it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, but generally if you are relying on 100% services to 100x your revenues, you typically have to 100x your resources. And again, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. This is just for um, purposes of an analogy. So that scalability is a little bit difficult. What we're moving towards now is the, recogni the recognition that the content that we use to give away freely on our blogs, um, on our LinkedIn pages, those, that content has value. And if you take a look at the industry as it is right now, there are a lot of players in the market who are putting together some pretty awesome digital courses on anything from HR, graphic design, marketing and some are more successful than others but the ones who are successful they're making a, a a lifestyle out of it they're making i guess based on what their reviews are and, and their and their traffic count etc they seem to be doing pretty well so we're not abandoning the service end of it but we are moving more towards having products because there's some people who simply do not want to hire an agency there are some people who simply do not want to hire a consultant, but they would be willing to pay a reasonable fee to sit in their homes and actually learn from the comfort of their living rooms or their bedrooms, etc. And because the branded equation, that's the name of our framework, the branded equation is so new, and there are so few people in agency positions to give their perspective on it, we know that our content has value. So people may not, I, I think in this new world, especially remote working, people are more comfortable um, paying for good content. So that's one of the ways that we are going to be uh, shifting our revenue model. There's another thing there, because yeah, at Cribbin Ideas, we've also been going through a journey. We've, we've pivoted a lot over our time as an agency and now kind of crossing into some new business areas that we've seen. And And, and you said something there, you know, about talking to HR professionals and talking to people. I would imagine that when you were first starting to, you know, 
talk to people about a thing that they didn't think you wait you're like wait why are you talking to me about hr um so how did you break through how did you approach that to kind of get into this new area right so one of the first things i did is that i participated in what i call a hr listening tour where i called up hr professionals that i knew to ask their perspective of their changing roles in hr and I found out a couple of interesting insights. A lot of the HR professionals I spoke to in the Caribbean, they were very frustrated because some of them did not have a seat at the strategy table. Uh, some of them said they were seen by their organization as more like the policy police, as opposed to a critical strategic asset. That's one of the things I found out. Another thing I found out was that it is very, very possible to be an HR professional and be a very valuable asset strategically. So we in, we interviewed one young lady from Trinidad and her name is Jane White. I think it would be a great opportunity for you to interview her as well because she's pretty amazing. And, you know, she said she did have that problem of not being invited to the strategy table, but she dragged her chair across the room, right? Uh, even though she wasn't invited and made herself part of the strategy discussions, and now she's the CEO of the group. So another thing I found out by going out listening tour is that in modern companies, HR is going through a revolution. Uh, right now, I think we're at HR 4.0 is what they're calling it, this revolution, where technology is taking over. And a lot of these manual activities that HR professionals would normally have done is, is not being done by big data and is AI driven. And a lot of companies are now expecting their HR professionals not necessarily to move away from those manual transactions completely, but to spend time developing and nurturing culture. Uh, as one commentator put it, you know, HR has moved from a manual process to being a fountain of innovative ideas. And I love that statement because in modern companies, that's exactly what's happening. They're looking at their HR professionals, not just for the manual transactions or being a policy police. They are looking at HR as a huge contributor. So using this knowledge, and we are very clear to tell people we're not HR professionals. We advocate for HR professionals to be in the branding process. And we have had experience where on branding projects, we've called an HR professional and say, hey, we have the conventional branding part locked down. Um, but we also need you to support in HR. There are a couple of interesting things that you just talked about there, Ron. You know, one of the things you said is, which is, you know, it, it made me smile because um, you talked about scaling a service-based business. And, and my business partner, uh, Brother Nelson, and I have talked for years about, you know, evolving and, um, and, and that the next phase of, of things that we do you know, we love our people and we, we, we love the business that we're in. But, but if you're going to scale, especially as a Caribbean company, if you're going to take it to the next level, you do have to ultimately figure out what, you know, big companies, tech companies, others have figured out, right? Scale based on a product, scale based on intellectual property, et cetera. And so, so I love that you, that you raise that so that listeners out there, you know, especially ones who are starting off, um, maybe they can start building with that in mind. And so, as you talked about scaling, um, you talked about this new direction, you know, a, a product, not just a service or a product and a service. That's really, really powerful stuff. So I wanted to kind of comment on that. You know, what's what's an example of one surprising positive outcome that has come from this particular shift and pivot that you've made and one, you know, unexpected, really big challenge that came out as a result of it for you? So something unexpected that happened was that I was able to meet a lot of people on the other side of the equation. We were on the branding side and now we're meeting HR professionals more than we would have if we had just stuck in conventional branding and hearing all the wonderful stories that they had to give and kind of fitting together that piece of the puzzle and realized that, hey, you guys as HR professionals are branding superheroes, you know? So we just the meeting people, um, Traveling, I think, would be another one uh, to be able to go as far as USA, Mexico, and Malaysia to talk about an idea that was birthed right here in the Caribbean. You know, absolutely, uh, that's huge. Yeah, it is huge. I mean, there there are some wonderful 
examples of thought leaders in the Caribbean um, that we, we don't know about. Um, to take the focus off of myself, first of all, one second, there's a young lady, um, Barbadian-born, UK-trained uh, professor in HR. Her name is Dr. Rochelle Haynes, and she has developed a slice of the HR equation with something called, she had a framework called Gig HR. It's literally how a framework to help HR professionals deal with the challenges of working with remote workers, uh, gig workers, contract workers that you may never meet in real life. So there are some really great examples of thought leaders, but I just had to divert from there to, to mention that. So yeah, it, it, and her name, her name, just sort for listeners to catch it. So to just say her name, and you said it sounded like she was working on a, a, a framework called Gig HR. Gig HR, as in G I G, like the gig economy. HR, right? And her name is Dr. Rochelle Haynes. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So that, I think that would be an unexpected benefit. Unexpected challenge? I don't think we've really had a big monumental challenge yet. I think a smaller challenge that we are facing right now is because we are at the very beginning of this revolution. There are not tons, there's no, there's no playbook for it. There's no playbook for it. People are recognizing that, it, for instance, Airbnb, if you do the research, you'll figure you'll see that Airbnb kind of collapsed, collapsed its HR department uh, and rebuilt it as an employee experience department, which has right. uh, HR in it, has some element of communications, has some element of marketing, real estate, social responsibility, etc. So people tend to refer to Airbnb as an example of a de-siloed organization. And from our research, we've also been able to identify a few other organizations right here in the Caribbean that are doing something very similar, but there's no playbook for it. So that is both a challenge and a huge opportunity for us because what we've been doing quietly behind the scenes is that we've been interviewing what I call branding superheroes very, very quietly. Um, we inter interviewed a young lady from Cayman recently. She was in HR and transitioned to marketing. Uh, we have heard some people that have been in marketing uh, in, in the Bahamas and they transferred to HR. Uh, from speaking to these individuals, we are recognizing that there's a heck of a lot more intersections between HR and branding that a lot of people realize. So as difficult as it is to speak about something for which there's no playbook for, it's also a huge opportunity for us. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's actually a, a really good segue because, you know, it's funny, you, you've been in business since 2008. Um, you know, I've been in business since 2000, late, late 2007, effectively virtually 2008. And, um, you know, I've been saying to, to to some of our team, we said, you know, it kind of took us 10 years to articulate what was always our purpose right. and mission, but it took us about 10 years to say it in a simple way, to help Caribbean people and organizations become more globally competitive and influential. Right. I want to ask you, um, what what would you describe, and you know, whether whether it's pithy and short or quick tagline or whatever, but, but talk a little bit about purpose in business from your standpoint right you know what what do you do you have one do you think it's important why why not you know i want to hear hear your thoughts on that so our purpose at the company is simply two words inspire growth that's it and we were that short because we felt that we wanted to be involved in the growth of different areas that may not fit well into one sentence. So for instance, of course, one of the areas is to inspire growth with our clients. Um, they're not hiring us because they want something to look pretty only. Of course, they want it to be aesthetically pleasing, but they also want it to work. So we're our duty is to inspire growth for our clients, keep one step ahead of them, um, help them develop stronger brands and stronger businesses. Um, another aspect of inspiring growth is also for our team members. Who are working with us uh, we've in terms of their personal development you know we have like about 300 books in our library that our team members are 
encouraged to pick up and read. You know, we've done a lot of personal development and personal opportunities. So clients, employees for sure. But we also want to inspire growth in our industry. So we tend to do a lot of, you know, some corporate social responsibility items um, that use our skills and that help others to grow. So I think it is very, very important to have a, a purpose. I think it brings clarity. And if implemented well, it can really change people's lives. So let me give you a story. We, we did work for an organization a few years back that called us in because they wanted to redo their packaging. Um, they said our packaging needs to have an upgrade. So we went in, we met with them, had a great meeting. We had our marching our orders in terms of redesigning packaging. And before the meeting closed, I started to ask the CEO a couple of questions. What's your company culture like? What's your productivity like? Do people work as hard when the CEO is outside as when he's in the room with you? Um, what are these synergies, cultural synergies, very cultural challenges? And that took the conversation in a completely new direction, as you could imagine, to the point where they said the packaging is going to have to wait because our biggest uh, brand and challenge is actually our company culture. So we worked with the company for a few months. Um, we helped them to articulate their uh, core values um, and what we call brand anchors, which would be the, the vision, the purpose, core values. And it, it came off really, really well. And about a year after... Uh, our engagement with them had ended because we came in, we helped the culture and we had it run smoothly without us. That was the aim. And one of the employees from the organization saw me. We were I was in a public place, I think it's a supermarket. And I asked them, well, how are things going? And the company said they're growing really, really well since you helped us with our company culture, especially core values. And then he said, it's also helped me as an individual so I was a little bit puzzled. So I asked him, well, what do you mean by that? And his response was that he decided of his own, on his own that he was going to adopt the core values that the company had into his own personal life. And then he said, I now feel like I'm a better husband and father because of it. Wow. And that floored me. That wasn't our intention going in. You know, we were operating at the corporate level. But clearly, this person used the company's core values as his own brand anchor and can now track to say, because of this, he's made improvements in his personal life. Yeah, well, that's fascinating because it, it, it actually um, almost reinforces the, 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 the idea of the importance of purpose and you kind of connect it to a different application of it, right? Yeah. So core values within a company, within within a culture, to the extent that you can embed it, is a way to connect to some larger way of doing things, place you want to go, how you approach it. And yeah, so that's actually a, that's a powerful, yeah. really powerful story. Yep, yep, very yeah. much so. That's cool. Um, you know, when you think about where you could take this idea, this business, yeah, a big part of... Um, you know, I guess this, this, this podcast is, you know, if we can inspire, um, you know, one person to, to, to go build that next gigantic thing, you know, from, from starting off in the Caribbean, you know, you've done something and you talked about, look, you know, all of this, you know, pickup and outreach that you've gotten from kind of all around the world. Um, how big do you think you can, you can take? this idea and, and and how far can you spread this idea what's, what's your ambition for it you know maybe even the ambitions you you, you know if you have necessarily said said aloud but but how far do you think you could go so to give you some context with or without um blueprint creative pushing it i believe the practice of brand and hr working together is going to pick up steam so this is ready or not here it comes that's what's going to happen i think what as a business our aim is that while this revolution is happening the first organization that people think of is blueprint creative whether they're in the caribbean whether they're in north america whether in canada 
or even if they're as far away as Malaysia. Um, so for me, this can go worldwide. The whole idea of this framework. And if you take a look at other frameworks out there, like the Blue Ocean Strategy, for instance, you know, the creators may or may not be doing consulting in Barbados, but I know of the framework, you know, and I give them credit for the framework when I talk to other people about it. Uh, same thing for Dr. Rochelle Haynes, you know, the gig economy and gig HR is here. Uh, it's up to her to make her name with it. So I do think that the trend outside of the, in terms of the wider organization is going to go global. Uh, I do think that if we play our cards right as Blueprint Creative, we can be the thought leader and the leading practitioner in the English-speaking world. And perhaps even by saying English-speaking world, I might be limiting myself because, again, you know, Malaysia did a workshop in there. Uh, it was attended by people from Malaysia, Vietnam, um, Philippines, you know, it, it was just all over. So it, do, I do, it does have the potential to go global. Uh, it's just up to us to take advantage of the changes that we see coming closer and closer. Right. And, and yeah, you know, what, what's, what's important there is, as we, we talked a little bit about that core insight and kind of like latching onto a core insight that you kind of observed directly through experience over time, which is again a typical way that people get ideas in the first place and then sort of seeing the trend and kind of getting ahead of the, you know, getting ahead of the wave or building the toolbox before the before the highway is there. So I love that. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience in those sort of international settings where someone's brought you in and they're like, okay, great, here you are thought leader from a small you know part of the world the caribbean and let's say you know a, a small individual island um how did you prepare for that how did you mm -hmm. go about kind of like living up to that you know here are all these you know expectant faces looking at you for you know to to to, to be a fountain of knowledge how did you how did you go about managing that <laughs> i think that if i thought about it too long i probably would not have done it. Uh, like if, if I go to the beach, I can't tip door into the water. That takes too long. Like I literally had to jump in. Otherwise, it's going to take me forever. So when the opportunities present themselves, I was just like, yes, let's do it. Uh, what I have found is that I think a lot of times Caribbean people feel intimidated by being on the world stage. You know, but I've spoken to so many Caribbean people that have found success outside of the Caribbean. And their experience is that they're welcomed, you know, they're welcomed. I've spoken to consultants who, you know, from the Caribbean, in Trinidad, who've consulted as far as Africa, you know. Um, I've spoken to consultants here in Barbados that they've traveled to, I think, at last count, something like 40-something countries over the last 10 years or so doing her business. So for me, there has been acceptance of the framework there's been acceptance of me as well and it's it's, it's working out that's 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 all i can say like just just um last week i got an email from some person in asia that's that wants to do wants me to do a webinar for their association so i think it's all about personal branding and the strength of your framework if you have a weak personal brand like, you know, you go on LinkedIn, you can't find anything about this person. Um, you just don't know anything about no testimonials, whatever. And I think the second thing is the strength of the framework. If you want to be a thought leader, by definition, you have to think differently. So you can't be a thought leader. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. If you want, if you have your own very specific framework or idea, or point of differentiation, or point of distinction. It's going to be easier for you to find opportunities in that niche because there's something different and special about you as opposed to you are simply one of many who are who's doing what everyone else is accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Um, and I want to kind of switch tax now to to, to the third P, um, which is perseverance. You know, we're, we're having this conversation in... January 2021. Uh, so happy new year to all the all the listeners. Mm -hmm. um, 
but look, you know, it's been everybody's been happy to see the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a really tough year for, for, for many. Some people have lost a lot, yeah. um, you know, and, and so, so there's lots of challenge at the same time, you know, we've had, you know, 10, 11 months of dealing with a pandemic. Um, maybe there's some, you know, sunlight on the horizon with, with vaccines and so on, but we've had to persevere. And that's just the most recent challenge. But, but I think one of the things I always find is very common to, to every entrepreneur out there, anywhere in the world, is, is, a, is an ability and willingness to, to push through. Um, and to push through things and to to try to find a way as far as they can. I want you to share examples of some of the things that that for you over this 12-year journey, you've really had to to push through that people might not have realized, you know, but you but you've managed to to overcome. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna give you a real life story to Lady Foundation and to give you some context. Uh, I was in the British Virgin Islands with a colleague of mine. Uh, visiting a client, we had to do a session down there, and we were staying in Tortola, but we went over for a day trip to Virgin Garda, which has, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful beaches in the Caribbean or even the world. You know, there are these huge boulders, there are these pools of crystal clear waters, and it's a on a on a good day. There are going to be hundreds of tourists on that beach making their way from one part to the next. Um, there are these great tunnels, these great caves, and my colleague and I had done the tour of the caves. And that particular day, there were a lot of tourists there, so it was very difficult to get to the exit. So we're, we're literally here like a fork in the caves. There's a sign saying exit, pointing to the right, but the wait time was about 15 minutes because there's so many people waiting for their turn. We had to go through single file. I look left and there's a tunnel on the left. I'm like, well, why is no one going down this tunnel? So I told my colleague, let's call Jane. I said, Jane, I'm going to go exploring on the left. She said, please, just, just there you are, because everyone knows I tend to have a habit of wandering off. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go. Why don't you come? She said, I'm not going. It, it doesn't say exit. So anyway, I went. And um, beautiful pool, one of the, you know, picture perfect. And I stopped my toe. I, I, I was walking and my little toe clipped a rock that was under the sand. And I was like, well, this really, really hurts. So I get back by my colleague, Jane. I said, Jane, this is, you just missed out an amazing sight. This great pool, you know, surrounded by these boulders. And I said, but I stuck my toe and it's really hurting. So after about a couple of minutes, we're walking closer and the water is now, instead of like waist high, it's kind of like ankle high. And I look down and my little toe is sticking out at an awkward angle at 45 degrees. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, you watch those kind of movies where somebody's hand gets dislocated and they, they pop it back in. So I'm trying to pop my little toe back and it keeps on springing back out. And my, my colleague, Jane, who's a bit of a smart ass, she was like, your toe is broken. I was like, yeah, it is. So by the time we got back to the hotel to, onto Wi-Fi, I told her, okay, look, what happens in the BVI stays in the BVI. And she's like, that's not in my contract. I, I'm, I'm looking through her contract and I'm like, yeah, it probably is in her contract. So by the time we get back to Wi-Fi, you know, it takes her less than five seconds to send the message she had already written in WhatsApp. And by the time we got to Wi-Fi, all of my <laughs> colleagues at Blueprint had heard the story of how I had broken my toe, you know. And I had to give a workshop that same night. I had to hobble up. So I hobbled up and I pushed. But <laughs> right. the point of this story for me is that in, entrepreneur in entrepreneurship, Sometimes you have to walk down tunnels that no one has explored yet. Sometimes the payoff is great. You get like for I, I, I saw a great scene, and for me it was I don't want to say it was worth it, but it's not like I lost my toe. You know what I mean? It was a couple of weeks of pain. But in entrepreneurship, sometimes you have to explore different caves, different avenues. Sometimes you're gonna break a toe. You know, once you don't lose it, it's perfectly fine. If I had lost my toe or my leg, I would say it would the, the ROI on going in the left cavern would have been too much. But it are, but looking back on it, okay, I broke my toe. So I think that back to your kind of original question about pushing through things. We pushed through moving from one location to another as we grew. 
um, we pushed through having to fight, I use this word loosely, fight in the industry to be recognized among, you know, the bigger, larger uh, advertising agencies. Um, sometimes we had to just push through being an entrepreneur because we didn't start the business with deep pockets. We were bootstrapping all the way. So just to be able to push through starting a business with almost zero money in the bank account and just push through and push through and push through and sacrifice, you know, I think for me, that would be the equivalent of breaking a toe, but still having to hobble along and say, I know what the business can, can come. I'm, I'm hurting right now. I don't have as much disposable income as I would have wanted as an entrepreneur, but I'm going to hobble along and I'm going to go. Yeah, that's 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 an awesome story. Very, I could I could I could visualize I could visualize the cave and the pool of water. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I come back to something. You know, you and I caught up last year, mm-hmm. and and you said something to me that stuck with me because it's is very similar to 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 how I evolved as an entrepreneur, which is that you know when we first. Um, started talking about collaborating, you know, you said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase loosely, but you said, you know, yeah, you know, when we talked, you know, so many years ago, you know, I was a young entrepreneur and, you know, I, I, I wanted to collaborate, but, but I was still a little, mm-hmm. you know, cagey about doing it and, you know, not as trusting. And, and, and I think I might've said to you, wow, like that's, I, I, that's exactly how I feel, you know, like, you know, after somewhere along the line, yeah. somewhere between year you know, in years, in, in, in years one through five, you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to collaborate and we, you did collaborate with some people, but in other cases you're like, well, you know, I don't want to share too much, yeah. give too much, what have you. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, wait a minute, you know, the bigger this thing is, the more this thing scales, um, you, you, you got a lot more comfortable. You also got a lot more, um, comfortable that, you know, a little bit of information, was not the difference between somebody being able to copy your strategy and plans um, versus versus uh, you know what you might have worried about earlier on. I want to talk a little bit about that because I thought that was so important. I really had share that same view, and so I think for people who are out there, you know, we can probably save some young um, innovators mm-hmm. and entrepreneurs some time, some wasted time. Talk a little bit about that that philosophically. So okay, so I think when we first met, again, very very cagey. Um, because at that point in time, I thought he who hath the best idea wins, which isn't so at all. Sure, you have to have a great idea, but you also have to implement. And what I've realized over the years is that there's so many ideas that stay in people's minds because they're afraid to think about them and think about them outside of their own mind in the sense that they're going to share it with someone else. And because they don't share their ideas, they tend to die. What I've realized more and more is that when you choose the right people to share ideas with, it benefits both parties. It benefits them, and you get something in return because your idea starts to get more refined by other people's feedback. The other thing that I've noticed is how willing people who are successful, how willing they are to share and it seems like they're willing to share more than the people with moderate success. <laughs> so I just finished writing my first book. It's called Tighten Your Shoelaces. And I'll explain why it's called that in a while. And I reached out to an author that I had met years ago. I told him, you know, I'm writing this book. And he was happy to read it and give me advice and to share his experience. Actually, he suggested, let's, let's do a call. I'm going to share with you my experience as an author. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a guy by the name of John Spence. He wrote this book, uh, Awesomely Simple. Um, great book. I encourage anybody to, to read it. You know, And then he networked me with other people who were willing to share their ideas. And we shared ideas together. And it does feels like the people who are the most successful are the ones who are more willing to share their ideas because they realize that even in some cases, if you share ideas on personal, yes, the chance that they can steal it is quite possible. You know what I mean? Very, very possible. But 
on the other hand, if you're a good judge of character and you share your ideas with someone else, again, it's going to benefit both parties. So I, I tend to be a little yeah. less cagey about that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said something that's really important, which is, you know, I say to to, to my um, colleagues or, or team members, both in the U.S. and my U.S. with my U.S. hat on and with my Caribbean hat on, um, you know, the execution is strategic. I mean, they're true words have not been spoken. It is hard. It is hard to do things, to do what you say you're going to do, yeah. when you say you're going to do it, how you say you're going to do it, and then do that in a, in a systematic way. It doesn't mean that, you know, the young entrepreneurs out there should, you know, trust any and everyone and just, you know, give all of your secrets sauce away. Mm-hmm. But it is a, a framework to your point around, um, you know, the idea that, you know, collaborating and collaboration it's it's important within your organization it's important for organizations yeah so that's super powerful so so you know as we wrap tell us a little bit about um you know your your new book right. and tightening your shoelaces and yeah like, i want to hear a little bit more about that sure so i have developed a habit of learning as much as i can one of our core values at the organization is to learn something new every single day and I remember when I was a kid, the family was going for a drive. I had no idea where we were going, but it was a family outing. And my dad was, was listening to news, and the news report came on. And the journalist said, talked about a fire that had just happened. And the journalist said the house was raised to the ground. And me and all of my wisdom at 12 or 13 years old said, hey, that journalist just made a mistake. You can't raise something to the ground because raise means to bring up as opposed to bringing down to the ground. And my mother, who was a linguist, a French teacher, she explained to me the difference between raise, R-A-I-S-E, which means to elevate, and R-A-Z-E, which means to tear down. And I felt a little bit embarrassed. And I said, well, how am I supposed to know that? My teacher never told me. And she was like, you cannot ever rely on school or teachers to teach you everything you need to know. So I developed this healthy habit of reading, reading, increasing my knowledge. And... I've always had an affinity for writing as a communications tool. So that's why I write so much on on places like LinkedIn. And when the pandemic hit, I remember looking at the general principles of branding and asking myself, can these principles be applied even during a crisis like this? So I started to do research. Um, I named the book, I'll get to that. It's, I'm not sure if you've ever heard this business fable, but there's a business fable that talks about these two guys who are hiking through the forest. And all of a sudden they encounter this huge angry bear, obviously kind of ready to, to pounce on them, kill them, tear them apart. And the first hiker, he bent down quickly and started to tighten his shoelaces because he's getting ready to make a run for it. He's, he's tightening his shoelaces so that he can run. And the second guy looks at him and says, well, what the hell are you doing? You can't possibly outrun a bear. The first guy he takes off, he looks over his shoulders and he says, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. Meaning that in sometimes you don't have to take on the whole economy. No, this is business is literally natural selection um, at play. You know. So I decided to call the book Tightening Shoelaces because it talks a lot about how do you defend and grow your brand during a crisis, like the ones that we're experiencing right now, and how do you prepare your brand for a crisis? So I use the term tighten your shoelaces as the title of the book and also throughout the book to describe the act of an organization becoming more effective and more efficient by making big tweaks, small tweaks, to make sure that they're agile and that they can defend and grow their brands during a crisis. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Um, you know, you're right about, you know, uh, Darwinism at play in, in business and, and really the importance of being, um, you know, able to, you know, we kind of talked about it in a different way when we talked about pivoting, but being able to kind of continually refine and be sharp. I mean, it's really about being quick twitch, yeah. right? And and being able to to be where you need to be in some cases faster than the other, the other guy or gal. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's really that's really powerful. I'm I'm looking forward to to, to checking it out, and certainly would encourage um, you know all of our listeners to to check it out. Well, Ron, listen, you know, I mean, I I, I wanted to to say again, thanks for for taking some time out of your busy schedule thanks to for having me. to just you know, 
share and share some share some of the the amazing perspectives that you have i think it'll be really valuable to, to to people so again really appreciate your your time and looking forward to see where you take where you take branding um you know and to helping you if if, if there's any way that i can because sure. uh, i love the big idea it's a big it's a big idea with big scope and seeing that come from the caribbean i mean that's what it's all about thank you for having me um a real honor i have admired your entrepreneurial prowess you know since the first time we met and i know that you are also doing some big things over there um if and when i start my podcast i'll probably want you to be one of the first ones i invite onto my show <laughs> yeah let's do it we'll do it we'll do it all right you cool. take care bro yeah man you take care that was ron johnson co-founder of blueprint creative out of barbados sharing with powerful anecdotes and great storytelling timeless ideas that any entrepreneur or corporate innovator can learn from. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up. <laughs>